All right. Good morning. I, I wouldn't consider that good afternoon. It's not quite 12, but uh, for me, it's still morning. For it seems like for many of you, it's still morning. You guys still kind of waking up, transitioning to a morning uh, worship service. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors in our church. I'm in. Uh, I'm the English pastors for this congregation. And welcome everyone to worship with us today. Uh, we've been in a journey of starting a, uh, of this series called Made for More. I want to show you a couple pictures. If you ever wonder what a pastor does during the week, I get that question a lot. They wonder, what does a pastor do in the middle of the week? Uh, this is an example of what I don't do normally. Uh, but I did do this week for the purpose of our sermon. Uh, those of you who are a little more uh, savvy with phones, you guys know that you have those filters on your phone, right? And so uh, so I kind of randomly took a few pictures of myself. If you can't tell, that's me. Uh, go to the next slide. I think I have three more to go. There you go. So now. These uh, filtered might look kind of funny, and my kids love them. They like to take pictures on my phone, and then later on, I found out on my phone, all these filtered pictures of them. And uh, you, there's a, a really well-known one that makes you look old. Like, what would you look like in 30 years, right? Um, I, while these things are fun, I wonder sometimes, do we live with that type of filter in our lives? Like, we all know behind this is me. You all know when you take a picture of your friends, it's your friend. The but does me does it make does it really make me a, a ninja if I just take a picture with a filter of a ninja thing? Does it really make me like a thug with a picture with a thug live on it as a filter? The reality is, is that there is someone behind that filter. But what often happens is, for many of us, myself included, is we have these filters in our lives. What these kind of masks in our lives? And sometimes we don't, the problem is sometimes these filter and masks we don't even see. It's not visible. It's, un, uh, it's invisible. Sometimes we're not consciously putting them on. Sometimes it's put on uh, for, for us. Sometimes we buy into that. And what happens is we start living this filtered life. We start thinking like, oh, I am that, whatever that, I don't even know what borderlands are. But uh, whatever that thing is, we start thinking, I'm a ninja, and start living according to that filter. But in reality, there's someone who is real inside of us. And in fact, we know that God made us. God did not make us and then put some filter on us so that we'll act like these filters. But God made us in his own image. We do not need more filters for ourselves. God already made us in his own image. Just a quick review, we talked about this framework of be, do, and go. We talked about how our lives were made for more. We need to answer these questions. Who are we? Be. Who did God create you to be? Unless we know who we are, we'll we'll never know what we're supposed to do, which is the second part is we need to do something. God made us to do something for his glory. And lastly is where do we go doing these things? And we talked about how two weeks ago there's a primary calling in our lives, which is the same for every one of us. Christians or not, in the Bible it says that we have a primary calling to be someone, do something, and go somewhere. But then also there's a secondary calling, which is unique to each one of you, that as you you go through different seasons of your life, you become a a certain uh, profession, you go through, through different careers, you are at different jobs, and then you're supposed to do, function a certain way, but also go a certain places to fulfill this primary calling. And the reason why I want to go through a review of this is because for the next few weeks, we're going to tackle each one of those. We're going to, today, we're going to talk about B, but for our primary calling, our core identity. Who are we? And if you miss this point, you're going to miss everything else. 
this is by far the most important question that you need to have an answer for. Because who you are or who you think you are determines what you do. Because if you start thinking you're that filtered person, you're going to start living like that filtered person. But if you really know who you are made to be, then you're going to know how can I live out that life and subsequently you're going to say, how do, where do I go and be that person that God had created us to be? So here's the question I want to ask you. Who did God create you to be? Many of you know that I love coffee. See, you don't, and, and uh, what, what we do every morning is we have a coffee grinder and grind the beans. A coffee grinder's purpose is to grind coffee beans. But it will be really frustrating for me to go grind the beans in the morning at 6, 6 a.m. in the morning and just sit there for minutes. It's like, come on, where's my coffee? How come I don't smell? I don't, I don't get a cup of coffee good ready for me, a hot, piping hot cup, smelling good coffee for me. Because that is not the function. That's not what a coffee grinder is. A coffee grinder does what? Grind coffee beans. You need to bring the beans into a coffee maker where you put water and the grinded beans in. Then it starts uh, start brewing a cup of coffee, which I need every single morning. This is why we need to know who we are. And that's what we're going to start exploring today, our core identity. So again, if you have your Bible with you, hopefully you already have it out already. Uh, we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 1 today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 have two parts. We'll go through the first section of Ephesians chapter 1. If you have to break down Ephesians chapter 1, it has two parts. One is the first part from verse 3 to 14. is a part of what we'll call the symphony of praise. This is where Paul praises God for who we are in Christ. And the second part we're going to cover next week because it has to do with what God calls us to do because of who we are. And that part is a strategic prayer. Strategic prayer that pray, uh, Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus and subsequently also for us who are Christians of how we can live out that life. So today we're going to focus on the first part in chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. And I understand it's a bit long, but I do want us to read it through. It's not on the slide. If you have your Bible, please open it. I want to read it one more time, but what I want you to do is this. I want you to key in on the phrase, in Christ, or in Jesus, or in Him. Because that phrase is the key to, for us to understand who we're made to be. Okay? So I'm going to read it for us. And if you can follow along in your Bible, or if you don't have one, look at the person next to you. Be a good neighbor. Share your, share your Bible. Okay? So here's what it says. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have a redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been 
predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is one of the most profound passages of Scripture. We can go through every single phrase of this passage and make it a sermon. But what I want to focus on today is this, our identity as God's children. For, For all of us here, every one of us, our fundamental core identity is to be sons and daughters of God. Now, some of you are like, I don't believe in Jesus. The Bible tells us that God created all of us, and there is this problem called sin. And sin separated us from God, and subsequently, because of that, there is a separation, an eternal separation from God. And what Paul is talking about here has to do with Christians, because that phrase, in Christ, is what we have become as Christians. This is, you have probably came across the phrase as I was reading, is the purpose of his will. It is God's will for all of us. To become his sons and daughters of God. And that can only happen through Jesus Christ. So if you are not a Christian today, you're like, I don't want to be sons of Christ. This is what God would love for you to be. Because as we will see in a little bit, there are tremendous benefits of being sons and daughters of God. And for those of us who are Christians, I want to remind you that as we go through this, this might sound like things that you've heard many, many times before. But oftentimes we forget What privilege, what honor, what what grace and mercy we have to be sons and daughters of God. So what I would like to do is walk us through real quick of these characters of being sons and daughters of God. The first one we see is this, that as sons and daughters of God, in chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, it says, In love he predestines us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You know what adoption is? Adoption is taking someone who is not your own and making your own. That's who we were once. Without Jesus, we do not belong to Christ. Or we do not belong to God. Our sins stand in the way. And so what God needed to do, what God wants to do, desires to do, predestined to do, is for you to be adopted into his family. Now, adoption only works if a parent wanted to adopt a person. You cannot be like, I adopt myself into your family. It doesn't work that way. You cannot choose to adopt yourself into someone else's family. It takes someone else, the family, to adopt you, to choose to adopt you. And that's what God says here. He says he wants, he predestined, he wants to be adopting you into his family. But what does it mean? There are a couple of things here that, that we can see. Uh, the first thing we see is as sons and daughters, we have been, what does it mean to be sons and daughters? Here's what it means. We have been given things that we did not work for. As sons and daughters of God, we have been given something that we given many things what, that we did not work for. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessings. Just like your family, every family has some blessings for their own kids and their own family. So if your family, if you are in my family, which my kids know, one of the blessings that they have is, which most of you don't have is, 
They get to come to church every single morning to play in the playground. They've been coming to church every single morning because I come and water the plants, and then what they do is they have this blessing of playing in the playground before school started. And they just come and play now. If you're not my kid, you're not doing that because I'm not opening up the door for you to play here for 10 minutes before I go drop all my kids. There is some special privilege that my kids have. One of the other blessings that my kids have is they have a dad who loves sports. So what happened is they have questions about sports. They get curious about sports. We can talk about sports all day. In fact, yesterday we were looking up on YouTube about Michael Jordan, a documentary. And so those two, a couple of our kids were just asking me all these questions about their curious, and I have answers for them. You know, as the sons and daughters of God, we have not just one, not just two, not just multiple, but every spiritual blessing, wisdom, counsel, strength, ability to repent, ability to fight against sins and temptations. We've been given privileges and blessings that we could not have on our own. That's what it means for us to be sons and daughters of God. But not only that. The passage continues and says, as sons and daughters of God, in chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Here's the second thing. As sons and daughters of God, we have been chosen. We have been chosen not for what we can do or achieve. Man, that word is so special. We've been chosen by God. I don't know if you ever play in the playground. I guess most kids don't play on the playground anymore. You use a phone now. But uh, if you ever you play in the playground, and especially if you go play basketball, if you go play sports at school, they handball or dodgeball, you know what they do first thing? They choose team. Now, how many of you likes to be the last person to be chosen? I hated it when people kind of chose everything. It's like by, at the end, you're like the only one standing there, and you know they don't want to choose you. They try to avoid contact. It's like, I can go four and five. I'd rather have one, one fewer person than, than have a full team. Because they don't want you. Right? That's the worst feeling. You know, like, oh, fine, I'll choose Ben. Just because he's the last person standing. I need a warm body to, be get, to get hit. See, that's not how God looked at us. God chose us. God chose us. It's a very special thing. I don't, and you know, there's one thing I want to ask you. For many of us who uh, grew up in America or in, in this Western world, we tend to think of ourselves with a lot of ability to choose. Isn't it? We can choose. You can, you can personalize your iPad, your phone. You can get a new, what do you call it, the cover? It's not called a cover. What is it called? Case, thank you. Uh, you can specialize things to make it your own. Right? We have a lot of choices. But you know one thing you don't get to choose? You don't get to choose your parents. Like people can now have the technology to choose to, to have designer, like change the DNA and, and have certain type of babies, certain uh, characteristic of baby, babies. But here's the thing. You and I don't get to choose who our parents are. You know, at any point during your parents' pregnancy or your mom's pregnancy, if at any point your mom decided that she doesn't want you for any purpose, she could end the pregnancy. If for whatever she chose not to continue the pregnancy, she could end in just like 800,000 people this past year. Babies in the womb was, were being aborted. You could have been one of those statistics if someone did not choose you. If someone did not choose 
to keep you. Here's the thing. God said, I chose you. And He chose us not because we're anything special. He chose us even you and I have sinned against Him. He did not say, I'll choose you because you're a last standing. Let me choose the good looking one, the disciplined one, the spiritual one. He said, I chose you not because anything you could have done. Not because you could achieve better. You can do a better, you can be a better Christian in form. He chose you when you were nothing, when I was nothing. As enemies of God, God chose us. Man, what a special place we have. Man, we're not just sons and just sons and daughters of God. I surely don't hope that my, my kids feel like they're just my kids. Man, there's something special because we belong to God. And as we put our faith in Jesus, our status as a person is not just another individual of billions of individuals that happens on earth, kind of functionally until we die, but we've been made by God, redeemed by God, which leads to the next one. As sons and daughters of God, we have been forgiven by God. We've been, we've been forgiven beyond what we deserve. And forgiveness is one of those words that we like to use. But it's super hard, super hard to live out. And when someone else wrongs, when you wrong somebody else, you want forgiveness, right? Man, come on, yeah, forgive me. But when someone else wronged you, man, that, that can be really, really hard. And especially if it's people close to you, especially things that have done that is, per, that is very very personal to you, and they've done it against you. But here's the sons and daughters of God. We'd be reminded not only not only are we chosen, not only have we been given blessings, we've been blessed beyond what we can do. Here's what it says. As sons and daughters, we've been forgiven beyond what we deserve. Ephesians chapter 1. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And two words I want you to circle or or mark in your head. Riches and lavish. Riches and lavish. You know what lavish is? Lavish is not just dripping in a little bit. Tilting the the bottle just can't get a little droplet of water in there. Lavish, you dump the whole thing. You ever sports when they win a championship? The coach always get a Gatorade shower. The players at the end, they kind of come and go dousing with the whole, with the whole bucket of Gatorade. That is the image that God has for us, that we've been forgiven with the amount of grace that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned. And it costs God something. This redemption, this new renewal of life, this new identity that we can call because sons and daughters does not come for free. It says it, we trespass against God. We've done something wrong against God. And rightfully, we should not get a redemption. But God did it through his blood. This is the reason why we celebrate the, the Lord's Supper every month. We've got to celebrate because this happens not because any of us can say we are worthy of what Christ has done, but it costs Christ life. Real life. Pain. Suffering. And as sons and daughters of God, by our faith in Him, we've been forgiven. We have this assurance of salvation. Here's one thing as parents I'm learning a lot. Is I want to parent my kids in such a way that they would know no amount of sins, that no amount of wrong that they can do would make them doubt my love for them. 
Like they don't need to perform a certain way so that I will love them. I want, surely I want them to behave. Surely I want them to grow in maturity. But there is nothing that they can do that will erase your identity as my sons and sons. I don't have daughters. As sons. As my sons because they were born. That's it. That is the only thing that make them my sons. They were born by us. And in the same way, God said, there's no amount of sin that can, that can lead us away, that can drift us away as Christians because we've been bought with the uh, blood of Christ. Now, if we're not a Christian, that's a totally different story because we're already separated. Remember a couple, couple months ago in First John, we went through the book of First John, we talked about the assurance of salvation. That's what I can bank my faith in. That there's nothing... There's no sin that I can sin against God, that God, as a Christian, that God would not be able to forgive me if I'm willing to repent. That's what makes us sons and daughters of God. Lastly, here's what it says. Not only do we are we forgiven, not only are we chosen, not only have the, all these great blessings. Here's what the last one. It says, as, as sons and daughters, we've been promised an inheritance. That we have no rights for. We've been promised an inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, 11, 13 and 14 says this. In Christ again we have obtained an inheritance. And in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There is not many things I'm sure of about life. One thing I'm sure of is one day I will die. One thing, one day my wife will die. One day my kids will be on earth without us. And as good parents, I think Proverbs teaches us that we need to leave inheritance. Inheritance is something that you have, earthly possessions, wealth, which we don't have a lot. But you are passing it on to your family, passing on to your children. So that it will become supported, we can become, uh, 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 provide some sort of security for them. That's what an inheritance does. That's what inheritance is. But here's the thing. Inheritance is not something you can work for. Because as a parent, I can say, I don't want to pass it out to my kids. I want to just bury it with me when I go to the grave. But I do so because I love my kids. Because I love my kids. Because they are my kids. There's nothing that my kids can do and say, Dad, guarantee me you give me your, your inheritance. There's nothing, no law that requires me to give them my give them my, my 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 inheritance. But God gave us His inheritance. He said the inheritance of the form that will come later. He only get it later. But for the time being, He gave us His Holy Spirit. He gave us Himself. So that from now to the day when we return to to heaven, we have someone who is with us day in and day out. Does someone to strengthen us in our temptation. Someone who will fight the battle with us and for us. And here's the difference between me and God. While my bank account is not really great, my house is not that, 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 that high of value, even my inheritance might help my kids, but the inheritance of God, the, the difference between Him and me is this, that God owns it all. See, God wants it all. One day He will be with you forever in heaven. And we're not talking about earthly possession, cars, houses, money, that type of thing. One day there will be things that will last forever. There will be a relationship that will last forever. 
And as sons and daughters of God, I've been given this promise. So when I look at my life today, I don't have to hold tightly on that. I don't need to live that filtered life anymore. Because with, deep inside of me, I belong to somewhere much greater. This is just a passing by. This is a passing, a phase of a season of my life. As God rescued me, one day there will be a greater life. There will be trials and tribulation in this world. The scripture tells us, rejoice. Why? Because we have been given inheritance that's greater than what this world can offer. And so as the sons and daughters of God, we've been given things that we didn't work for, chosen for what we cannot do and perform, forgiven beyond what we deserve, and promised inheritance that we never have the rights for in the first place. Now, I don't know about you, but for many of us, myself included, when we read through this passage, when we even hear sermons like that, in spite of my lack of eloquence in my, in, my, uh, in my speaking. Many times when we look at a list like that, we can easily just skip over it. I wonder how many of us, and we listen to this, that we are called as Christians, sons and daughters, actually skip a beat in our heart. That's you're like, wow! Or is it just the same old thing? Like how many of us actually our affection for God actually got stirred as we're listening, reading this passage? If you look carefully in the passage, this is one of the trickier passages to preach because Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he wrote it in one gigantic long sentence. One long sentence. So if you turn that into your English teacher, that would have been grammatically incorrect. Both in English and in Greek, which Paul wrote it in. But here's the thing, but for, for someone like Paul who wrote half the Bible, I guess technically you can do whatever you want, and it will be fine. But I don't think that's the reason why Paul wrote it in such run, long-running sentence. I think the reason why he wrote it in one long-running sentence is because he was passionately in love with who he is in Christ. He was passionately in love with who the people of God are in Christ. That his heart will actually skip the beat because this is what was declared, proclaimed about him and all the Christians in Ephesus. I think ultimately for many of us, I want to ask you. Do you have a deep conviction of who God called you to be? I think for Paul, the difference between him and me a lot of times is this. He have a deep conviction that God is the subject and we are the object. If you look at this passage, you will see, if you read through it again, I encourage you to do it this week. The subject of most of the sentence is not we, it's not I. It is God. God is the one who's the doing. God is the one who's the doer. And we are the, sub, we are the object. It is what's being done to us. We've been lavish. And every time that the, the subject of a sentence is we, it was something that to be done is past. It was being done to us. God has given us these things because in Christ we are decent because it was bestowed upon us. See, the moment we got these two things mixed up, that's when we lose the joy of being the sons and daughters of God. The moment you start thinking that I'm the doer and God is the, I'm the doer and God is the one who needs to be done things for, you're going to lose that joy in your life. You're going to lose that joy of being who sons and daughters are really are of God. And that is what we need to get back into. We need to understand that we, at the core of who we are in Christ, by faith, through His grace, we've been done to all these great things. 
We are the sons and daughters of God, not because of what you can do for God, is what God has already done for you. So what that means is that your worth does not depend one bit on who you are. And I think many times we live with that filter in life is because we think we need to do something to earn God's love. We need to do something to be sons and daughters of God. We need to do something so that I can find worth in. Maybe it is school, maybe it is job, maybe it is possessions, but whatever it is, here's what, what, what someone said. There are three things that determines worth. And I hope, I hope this will be helpful for you. There are three things that, that ultimately determines our worth. Here's the first one. The worth of something is ultimately determined by its maker. The worth of something is determined by its maker. Can you flash the, the next painting up there? Many of you have no, no, are familiar with this painting by Vincent Van Gogh. The Starry Night. Believe it or not, when I was younger, I took art class. Uh, anyway, you guys see, see my drawing, probably not. Those art class didn't really pay off. But uh, at one point in my life, I actually drew a replica of the Starry Night. My parents put it up at home, proud. But here's the thing, it looks no- nothing like this one. Now, if you go, on, if you go online and Google search, there's a Starry Night. Right now, it's, it's in, uh, in New York City in the Museum of Modern Art, the original one that's painted by Van Gogh, it is estimated worth right now, guess how much it is? $300 million. $300 million for this painting. Now, if you also Google and look up a replica of this, it goes from $12.99 on eBay to $3,000 on some art gallery painted by other artists like me. Now, here's the thing. The worth of this original costing $300 million is not because of how necessary it looks, how closely it looks to another painting. The worth of this is because it was painted by who? Vincent Van Gogh. So you could potentially be the best artist, and you painted something super close to that, and when you put it on sale, when they asked you, the authenticator would ask, did you paint this, or did Vincent Van Gogh paint this? They will tell right away that it is not, well, was not painted by Vincent Van Gogh. And even yours might cost a little higher than mine. Mine might be $9.99. Yours might be $9,999. Ultimately, you will not beat the worth of this painting of $300 million because of its maker. You would never be Vincent Van Gogh. Psalm 139 tells us we've been made. By God. You were formed. God formed our inward parts. God knitted knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Here's my question for you. you, Does your soul know it well that God made you? Man, you are worth something not because your parents gave birth to you. I don't care how rich your parents are, how famous your parents are, how well-known your family is. You are worthy because the maker of the universe made you and I. That is where our real worth is. See, the worth of of something is determined by, by its maker, but the worth of something is also determined by its owner. Last weekend... My family, a few of us, went to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers training camp. Uh, so that's where they practice before their season. They do a lot of uh, drills and all that stuff. And what happened is on these training camps, 
By the way, this is actually the training camp ball that we bought there. And when you go there, a lot of people want to get autographed. So people are lining up there to get autographed. Why do you want to get autographed? Some people want to do it for keepsake. Some people want to go make money. Now, my, my wife uh, bought the ball because she wanted to get, to get it signed. She bought this ball for $37. $37, kind of expensive, but that's fine. $37. In our possession is a ball for $37 because I own this. But here's the cool thing. At the end of the practice, there were a massive group of people who were waiting for this one guy named Hunter Henry. Most of you don't really know him unless you follow football. He's the tight end. as a promising rising star for the Los Angeles Chargers. He broke his leg last year, so he didn't play the whole year. But this year, he is primed to be one of the better tight end in all of National Football League. So in the crowd, he stayed around after practice. These players were signed to autograph, and so he was there. So we figured, why not give a chance? Maybe he'll sign our ball as well. So there are a massive group of people waiting for him. Like, Hunter, sign our ball. And so what I did was I went up with the ball. I thought I had no shot. But it had just so happened there was a kid in front of me. And then, of course, Hunter Henry wanted to sign his shirt. And so he turned around, signed his shirt on his shoulder, right? So I stick the ball right above him. And he's not Asian, okay? So he certainly did not think that I was his dad. But for whatever reason, for convenience sake, he just took my ball and signed it. And he signed the ball, and then, and then there's all these people with dirty looks around me. Because all these people have been waiting. Hunter, sign the ball. Hunter, sign our ball. And then here I just walk in, wait for a couple of minutes, sign, and walk away. Now here's the thing. If you go online to look at this ball, not this ball. You look at a ball being signed by Hunter Henry, someone whom you don't really know that well unless you're in the know for the Chargers. This ball, an autographed ball, is estimated for $300. Instantly, this ball that I'm holding, which I told my kids, please do not scratch the autograph, because one day when he becomes in the Hall of Fame, they will, it will pay for your college. Okay? So I told, you know, and this ball, the value of this ball up 10 times because of the signature of the owner that signed this. Hunter Henry, someone whom many of you don't know, signed the ball. Here's the crazy thing. You, believe it or not, you were signed by God. You've been signed. God's signature is on you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. You don't see it there because the word sign is out there. But here's Ephesians chapter 1.13. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, when you received the gospel, when you believe in the gospel, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. A seal back in those days is as good as a signature. That means when you put your faith in Jesus, God put his stamp on you and said, you are mine. I made you. I own you. And you're owned by the, by the almighty God. And therefore, your worth is greater than anything that you can buy. Is greater than, than a $300 ball being signed by some player playing a game. And make millions of dollars. The Bible tells us one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And that, while this thought of owner, being owned by God might bother you, we need to figure out do we really want to be owned by the Almighty God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Because one day, whether you like or not, He will be owning all things. And the amazing thing is, He said, I want to own you now. 
Here's the third one. The worth of something is also determined not only by, by, by his maker, by his owner. Here's the last one. The worth of something is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for it. Someone who is willing to pay for it. How much someone is willing to pay for it determines the worth. Here's another, another slide. Please. Honus Wagner. All of you looking at this like, I don't know who this goofy guy is. This card, if you know anything about baseball, is the holy grail of all baseball cards. Back in the early 1900s, this card were first sold for half a million dollars. You're like, okay. 19, uh, 1996 or 97. Someone else bought this card for $2.71 million. 2017, someone bought this card for $3.12 million. You might be thinking, what's so special about this card? From your eyes, there's nothing special about this card. Here's a guy that most of you haven't heard of, even for, for those of you who follow baseball. You would have, even for my son who loves baseball and the Dodgers, he would not be able to tell you what position, what team he played for. Well, except the, 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 give it away there, the Pittsburgh Pirates. This guy was once a great player, but for whatever reason, this card was a defect of a whole batch of baseball cards. And so as such, it becomes a prized possession for baseball collectors. Now here's what I want you to think about. If you take a vote, if we take a vote here and say, how many of you would pay $3.21 million for this card. How many of you would say, let's do this. Let's put our money together and own this card. I would guess most of you don't. Right? And here's the next thing. We take it to the world. We said, let's ask people in the world. Let's take a vote in this world on Google poll, on Google forum. How, how many of these people, how many of, how many people in this world would buy this card for $3.12 million? Again, the answer probably would be less than 1%, if there is even 1%. But the amazing thing is this. It doesn't really matter how many people think this card is worth $3.12 million. It does not matter the popular opinion of whether this card is worth $3.12 million. All it matters is one person who looked at this card and said, this card is worth $3.12 million dollars. And willing to pay for it, the worth of this card is $3.12 million. You know how much you're worth? God said you're worth his own son. John 3.16, a verse we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not give half a million. He did not get, get, give 2.71 million. He did not get 3.12 million for you. He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ himself, because he sees worth in you. So next time I want you to remember when someone else make fun of you. When someone else make fun of you, when someone reject you, when you get fired by a job even for doing the right thing, when you go on Instagram, when you look at everybody else have this good life, and you're wondering how come I'm not like that, how come my family is not like that, how come I'm not invited to this party. When someone reject you, when someone hurt you, 
when someone make you doubt your worth, I want you to remember the one who made you see you worth way more. Not 3.12 million. Like he sees you being worth his son to pay for your sin and my sin. That's what God has called us to do. That's what God has called us to believe in. That's what it means to be sons and daughters of God. John 1.12 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As we end today's service, we're going to take communion. I want to give us a moment to reflect as we take the communion together. Communion represent the bread, uh, the bread, uh, the the bread and the cup represent the body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus, and the juice represent the blood of Jesus Christ. We observe this as we celebrate this because we want to remember that we're sons and daughters of God. I hope that we will respond in such a way that today that we don't just think that we are just another son and daughters of God. But we're special, not because you are special. We're special because God gives us worth enough to purchase us from our sins. So if you have been baptized, I want to encourage you to, uh, to stand up and come on up and to take um, the crackers and also the cup and return to your seat. And while the piano is playing, I want you to take some time to reflect and to ask God for forgiveness, to repent if there's anything sin that you have not repented. God, and let's cling on to the cross once again. And after everyone has received the element, I'll pray and then we'll partake it together. So you're welcome to come on up and get your element. ask God to give you faith to believe in what he proclaimed over you to be true. Luke 9.23 says this, if you said, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it seems to be losing in this world truly means that we have gained. Let's pray together. God, as we have read from John chapter 1 verse 29, he said that earlier in his service, John proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who saves the whole world, the sins of the whole world. God, that word behold, there is a wowness, there's a, a, there's a, a, a excitement, there is, there's something different 
So God, I pray today as we take our communion, as we take the the bread, as we take the cup, Lord, help us to remember, rekindle, uh, stir up once again affectionate adoration toward you. That there will be liveliness in our walk with you. Because you did not save us to be dead, but you save us to be alive. You said you've given us eternal life, life to the full. So God, help us not to hang on to that old life. But as we take the bread, as we take the cup, Lord, help us to recommit ourselves to that new life that you have promised to give us. Help us not to settle. Help us us not to hold on tightly, but help us surrender it all. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you can join.